yeah, this place is awesome. Again, this is my first time here. I love this place. I hope to be back soon because um, I love this place so much. I even had to buy a hoodie. So if you want a cool hoodie like me, you can go pick this up in the cafe, right? Is that what it's called? Pick it up in the coffee shop place because these are dope, and I'm going to rock this like every day. Anyways, I hope that more than the fun we've had this weekend, right, the dodgeball, the hockey, the rock wall, vertigo, is that what it's called? Yeah, the big scary thing. I hope that this weekend, what you guys are leaving with is, is a, a stronger, more clear relationship with Jesus, all right? And so that's why we're here. We know that that's why we're here. And, and last night, some of you guys made some big decisions, right? Some of you guys for the first time said, I've been running from God, and, and I want to put my hope and my trust in Him. And we celebrated that. And I want you guys to know that today is a new day. That you guys have a fresh start with Jesus today. Uh, that your life will never be the same. And some of you guys have said, man, I've done the Jesus thing. And for a while, I was walking away from him. And I want to recommit my life. And we celebrated that too. And for you guys, it's a new start. Tonight or this morning, tonight, I'm all mixed up. Mountain time, you know. But this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to finish breaking down John 3.16. We've been talking about what it looks like to have 20-20 vision looks like to see clearly. And so in John 3, 16, our theme verse, it says this, for God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, that he might condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Now we're going to dig into verse 17, right? We've talked about um, everything leading up. And so Friday night, we dug into the story of the blind man. And I encourage you guys just to invite Jesus in to expose to you some areas that may be blinding you in your life. We talked about three different groups, and, and one of them was people who were blinded by the past. Some of them were blinded by their perfection, and some were blinded by their fear of what others thought. And so, and I hope that Jesus opened your eyes to be able to see some of those areas that were keeping us from seeing him. And Saturday morning, someone remind me what we talked about Saturday morning. Who is God, right? God is love. And, and we broke down, if we want to understand what it looks like to have 20-20 vision, if we want to understand what John 3.16 really says, we have to know who God is. And so we started breaking down and talking about who God is. And then last night, we talked about the issue. We talked about the issue in our world, in our lives, is that we have sin in our lives. It separates us from God. And that's when we had that time to make some decisions. Well, this morning, what we're going to talk about is what does all of this mean for us? What does all of this mean for us? What does it look like for us to leave later today and walk into a new life with 2020 vision for what God has called us to? And so we're going to dig into verse 17 that says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world might be saved through Him. Now, if you guys are anything like me, this is what happens for me. This is what has always happened. Is I go to camp, and I love camp. I told you guys at the beginning, I love camp. It's my favorite time of year time I can be at camp in my year. Because something about camp, I feel like I can experience God in a more intimate way. I don't know what it is about being on a mountain or on a boat or wherever the camp is that lets my walls down, that, that opens my eyes so that I can see God. And it's crazy how God is always so faithful to do that. And then we get to the last day of camp and I'm, I'm like, man, I'm on fire for Jesus, right? And I'm going to go home and I'm going to read my Bible every day and I'm going to pray every day and, and I'm going to start doing all these things, but what happens is that it ends up becoming all about me, right? It ends up becoming, I'm setting these goals because I want to do better. I want to be a better Christian, a better follower. Let me encourage you guys, this is 
never been about being better. It's about walking in obedience. All right? And so when we set our goals on being better, I want to do this more, I want to do that more, I want to be better in this area, it almost never works. It almost never lasts, right? We talk about camp highs. We come up, we do our thing, we experience Jesus in a powerful way. We go back home and something changes for maybe a few days or a week, maybe like a month if you're really disciplined or really good. But so often it fades. Here's the thing, guys. If the life change stops in this room, if the transformation, if the life change stops with you, Because this might be a kick in the pants for some of you guys, but Jesus' work isn't done the moment that you choose to follow him. His work isn't done the moment that I get my stuff together and say, God, I want to follow you. That's when it starts. That's when it begins. And verse 17 speaks so clearly to this. That God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, that the world would be saved through him. I told you guys that when he talks about the world, he's not talking about the trees and the rocks and the grass. He's talking about you and about me. But I am not the whole world, am I? And you are not the whole world, right? And we know that there's people out there, people that we do life around, who don't know the saving hope of Jesus Christ. So the work doesn't stop with us. But the day that we accept that grace, the grace of Jesus, the day that we're made right with Jesus, we inherit a responsibility. The moment that we say yes to Jesus, the moment they, that we recommit our lives and we dedicate ourselves to the work of Jesus, we inherit a responsibility. And that responsibility is to go and to tell people about what Jesus has done in our lives and to share the gospel with them. The scriptures are littered with stories about this, aren't they not? Uh, uh, the birth of Jesus. The shepherds in the field, right? They have an encounter with God. What do they do? They go and they tell people about what they just encountered. And then we have the blind man that we just talked about on Friday night that has this encounter with Jesus, and his first response is he goes and he tells people what Jesus had done for him. The woman at the well, she might have been the great, the first uh, evangelist. But she encountered Jesus, and she went into the town, and she said, Come follow me. Let me show you the man that told me everything I've ever done wrong. She told people about this encounter with Jesus. There's the crippled man who goes and tells people about his encounter with Jesus. And the list could go on and on and on. But there's one response that's always required of us. That when we encounter Jesus in a powerful way, we have to go tell people. What good does it do if I keep it to myself? What good does it do for the people that we do life around or our parents or our siblings who don't know Jesus if we come back from the weekend and they say, how was camp? And you say, oh, it was good. It was all right. Did you learn anything? Yeah. We talked about some stories. And if you encounter Jesus in a powerful way, why would you not want to share that with people? If your life has been changed by Jesus, why do you not want other people to experience that same life change? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes this to the church of Corinth. He said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Isn't this what we're talking about? This is new life, right? When we make a decision to follow Jesus, everything is new. 
He says this, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's a big word, but really in, in its purest form, the word reconciliation means to bring things back together, to reconcile, to heal, to mend the gap. Because we've had this experience, because God has reconciled us to himself, he's given us the responsibility, he's given us the ministry of reconciling the world to him. Verse 17, John 3, 16, 17, when it says that, that he wants to save the world, that's our responsibility. I'm sure you guys have heard this. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus leaves his disciples with one command he ascends into heaven. He says this, as Jesus came near to them, he said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. I think that our scapegoat, because a lot of, we get, we get afraid to tell people about Jesus, don't we? I'm sure that some of us on Friday night identified that our fear of others is single one of us has at some point or another backed away from telling somebody about who Jesus is because we were nervous for what they would think. And our cop-out often is, I'll let the, the pastors can do that, right? My leader can do that. That's their job. That's what they get paid to do, right? That's what they volunteer their time to do. If I can just invite them to church, then I don't have to really tell them about Jesus. Somebody else can do it. single one of us the ministry of reconciliation. That if we're a follower of Jesus, if we're a disciple of Jesus, it's our job to go and to tell people about this. So many times people ask, what's my calling in life? Anyone ever ask that? Like, what is God's purpose for my life? Has anyone ever wondered that, asked that question? A few of us? All right. Let me tell you guys something. I just did a series on this in our youth group back at the resident. We're talking about God's will for our lives. And so often we get so hung up because when we ask God what he wants us to do in our lives, we're looking for one specific answer, are we not? Who do you want me to be? God? Like, just give me the name, right? Like, just shine your heavenly light around them so I know that that's who you want me to date. Or, or if you're a senior in high school, you're like, God, what college do you want me to go to? And we wait for God to give us the one answer. And, and so many times we ask God to know, to tell us what he wants us to do then we get crippled because we wait for God to give us one answer. Let me prove you guys what God's will is not one specific thing for your life. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's right here. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is the thing that God has called us to do. The way that you do that, the way that you go about that, the person that you do that with, the college you do it at, none of that is the deciding factor in if you share this with all people. You got your Bibles, turn them to Luke chapter 14. I got one more thing. I'm going to leave you with this. Luke chapter 14. We're going to be starting in verse 25. 
Here's what it says, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, let's just stop right there. Kind of a crazy statement from Jesus, right? If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own mother and father or his kids or his wife, if he doesn't even hate his own life, he can't even be my disciple. I don't want you guys to get hung up on that, but we're going to talk about what that means. In verse 27, it says this. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation of the tower and he can't finish it, all of the onlookers will begin to make fun of him saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Verse 31, or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able to with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him if not, while the other is still far off, he'll send a delegation and they'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all of his possessions could not be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile to throw it out. Anyone who has ears should listen. In this passage, Jesus is challenging the people who are coming to him. Because this, it, this, what happens at camp is so often is because we don't do what Jesus is telling us to do right now. We come to camp, we have an encounter, we want to be better Christians, we want to do better, we want to follow God more closely, but we don't take the time to sit down and think about what this is actually going to ask from me. What is this commitment to follow Jesus really going to require from my life? And he says, what builder who wants to build a tower doesn't first sit down calculate what it's going to cost him. Otherwise, he's going to start and he's going to lay the foundation and he's going to get done with the foundation having run out of money. And everyone's going to look at him and laugh. He says the same about a king going to war. Which king doesn't first make sure he has enough soldiers to actually win the battle? Friends, we should not leave this mountain. We should not leave this chapel. We shouldn't get on the cars get in the cars, the vans, the buses, whatever we got to go home without first understanding, having God opened our eyes to see what this is actually going to require of us. Because if you don't do that time, if you don't take the time to sit and to think and to pray and to ask God, God, what are you really asking of me? What are you really requiring of me as I've committed my life to follow you? Because what's going to happen is you're going to get down the hill. It's going to be just like any other camp time. You're going to get home. Your friends are going to call you up. You may be able to resist the temptation for a few days. Maybe a few weeks. But at some point, if we don't do the time now to think about what this is going to cost us, we're going to let it all slide. And we're going to be right back in the same spot that we were when we came up here. Nothing's going to change. Don't let this be just another camp high. Don't let this be just another weekend where you get to come and sing and have fun and then go home and be the exact same person before you came. Count the cost. Know what this is going to require of you. And I don't, I don't want to be a downer, but I, I don't pull punches, guys. 
When Jesus asks us to come to him, when we come to Jesus, you can't do this half in, half out thing. It's either you're bought in, you're sold out for all of who Jesus is, or it's not going to last. Either you know what it's going to cost you, world doesn't need a bunch of Christians who are good for a few days and then fall right back into the patterns that we've been living in. What Jesus needs is a bunch of people, a bunch of his disciples who are on fire for him, who know what this life is going to take, who know what this relationship is going to cost. Jared said it earlier. He says, you will face troubles in this world. It's a fact. You can't avoid it. You're going to go home, and it's just a matter of time before something happens, right? But if you count the cost, you'll be ready. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Guys, Jesus champions us in this walk. You want to know what it looks like to give up everything? Read the Gospels. Jesus does it. He lays down his life for us. We desire, are we, you know, we're hesitant to lay down. We're hesitant to give up a habit, right? Guys, don't let this be another weekend that we're the same. Let's not leave here the same people we came out of. Don't let this be a weekend. Guys, I've had such a good time with you this weekend. I've had such a good time because as much as I've encouraged you guys to allow Jesus to open your eyes, Jesus has opened my eyes in a lot of ways too. I've got to see Jesus move powerful ways, and that were refreshing to my spirit. That I'm leaving here just as fired up for Jesus as I hope you guys are. My prayer for myself is that, that I wouldn't let this die away. That I know that when I get back in my truck to drive home in a few minutes, that I've counted the cost. That I know what this is going to require. Because we're all in this together. Right, Jesus. Number one, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love that you poured out on gospel of you. God, that you, that you laid down your life, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die. And that's powerful. Jesus, we thank you for your scriptures and the example and the encouragement and the challenge that they are to us. Thousands of years after you did it, they can still guide us. They're still your word and it's alive and it's powerful and it's living. Father, would you reveal to each of us right now in this last song or in our so what time what this really means for us to count the cost. God, would you open our eyes to see what this is going to take from us. That we wouldn't leave this mountain until we're committed to pay the cost. Until we're committed to do what it takes to follow you wholeheartedly.